I was obsessed. In the pride, the honors. I had a big wall and I would put all the certificates and I was, you know, elected to various honor societies. When we finish with my story of what happened to me in that tomb, people are going to say either God exists or Sotosani's crazy. Well, my name is Anne McElhaney. And I'm Phil McAleer. And welcome to the Anna Film Scoop from a very weird looking location. We have found the one un, not too untidy part of the room we're staying in here. Yes. Um, Where are we staying? We're staying we are, we're in Delray Beach. We're, Florida. We're, we're on the road meeting, meeting the folks. Top um, secret missions. Top secret missions. But anyway, we, we're still bringing you a great show and um, particularly, the, particularly the interview that's coming up in so a few minutes. So what's on the show today, Anne? Huh? Well, first the madness. Just yes. when you thought that California couldn't get any crazier Wait till you hear what they are now defining as child abuse. No, it's not starting sex changes on minors. It's parents who object to the process. Start, yes, yes. And teachers, of course, you know, your children are safe at schools. That's what we're told. Teachers are now secretly plotting uh, to brainwash your child uh, against your wishes with, without your knowledge. Um, and brainwash your child and say you're born that the child is born in the wrong body and we have the tapes to prove it and Ireland says ha 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 you think that's sick yes hold my Guinness yes and the ALC ACLU American yes ACLU says anything Ireland can do we can do better but we have a very nice and wonderful and inspiring story to balance the madness with John Sotosanto whose book has just come out yes a friend of ours and uh Really perfect antidote to this particular podcast to the madness you know uh, um and who says there are no good comedians in ireland as Anne pushes the uh, the prompter up who says there are no good comedians in ireland the country is introducing a hate crime law and uh, it is more awful than you can imagine it's almost comedic script reading the um, and we will do a comedic script reading of the irish yes. hate laws so but what's first. what's happening in california i mean basically all you need to know is there's a law in the state senate that is not has not been enacted yet, but it will ch charge children, parents with child abuse if they don't affirm their ch trans kids. So if your child, your eight, five year old, comes along and says, "Mom, I think I'm a fireman," and then she says, "Actually, Mom, I think I'm a man," and you don't immediately get her on puberty blockers uh, and the the railroad, the swift track to surgery, then you could be charged with child abuse. And and these stories just to keep on to keep on coming, and we bring you another story a really disturbing this story was in the, the daily mid, daily, daily mail. mail yeah from the midwest and so they, they, have, they have managed to get into a, a top secret federally gov federally funded government conference of teachers and teachers uh, so it's a lot of red states now the the, the 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 government is saying you cannot do this without telling parents you cannot do it at all by the way you can't affirm you can't tell children they're born in the wrong body you can't bring them so and they discuss their strategies and top tips to get around that to get around that to do cut you out of the process while cutting their children's genitals off and ireland says <laughs> hold my beer yes hold my guinness hold so, my guinness so, yeah hold my, yeah that's the irish version of that yes, so, so the uh, oldest catholic church in ireland saint Teresa's. Um, have just had a prayer service of belonging. Mm, belonging. But guess who's belonging? LGBT plus. And by the way, and we've had our very lovely young friend, uh, Brand Dove, who spoke to us recently on the podcast, 
She was the yes, one who Yes, who, who wrote that one, 14 year old Irish girl who wrote, who wrote the wonderful poem. Uh, and we had that interview. I am not a dress. I am not a dress. She talked about, what does the plus stand for? Yes. So this is in a Catholic church. They literally had the celebration of trans and plus, which nobody knows what it means. And if you think that's not bad enough, the state of Florida we're has actually, just- We're in Delray Beach. We're in fact. Delray Beach. They have just executed Dwayne Owen at Florida State Prison. And whatever you think about execution and all of that. Let's say what the ACLU said. The state of Florida never provided the necessarily, medically necessary gender affirming care to Dwayne Owen, causing her, her, her enormous suffering and violating her right to be free from cruel and unusual punishment for more than the 30 years that she was in custody. Well, this is what she did. Tell us what she did. Owen, this is only one little bit of what she did, by the way. These are the two things that she, was, that she went to prison for. Owen was found guilty on the brutal killing of a 14-year-old babysitter, Karen Slattery, Karen of Boynton Beach. Um, and I think this happened I'm actually in Delray Beach. And a 38-year-old executive secretary and single mother of two who he murdered and while her and raped. I think it's important while, to say raped because it's yes. not a she. Yes. This is not a she. This both is a of he. these both of these victims Wh women. were women were raped, by yes. the way. And the, the lady, the second lady there, Georgina Wooden Warden, her two children were asleep in the house when this happened. Yeah. Um, and they were like basically the children discovered her. So this and male Owen rapist, confessed yeah. Owen confessed to stabbing Karen and raping her and two months later he raped and killed Georgina Warden. He. At he he at Boca Raton with a hammer while who her, her two children slept nearby. So the, this, is the, this is the person the that the ACLU, ACLU said was violating her right to be free from cruel and unusual punishment by not giving her her gender affirming care. Moving on, uh, let's go to the nice interview now, actually. Let's go to the nice interview with John Sotosanti. So John, uh, we actually came across John through uh, through a friend, a relative of mine. It'll come out in the interview, actually, yes. yes. Um, it, it was a great find. This is a book, a, a gentle, kind book, but uh, and a, a truly, with a punch. A truly affirming book, actually. With a, a, truly, with a, with a punch, with I would a punch. say. With a punch. And it's a very interesting and fascinating story. Let's go over so that Let's now. go over that interview now. So we're joined now by John Sotosanti. Um, John has written this amazing book called Mortal Adhesions, a surgeon's, a surgeon battles the seven deadly sins to find faith, happiness, and inner peace. Welcome to the show, John. Th thanks very much for, for coming on. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Funny how we first came across each other. Uh, you and my brother uh, uh, did the Camino together in Spain. And for those who don't know, the Camino is a, is a pilgrimage across northern Spain. I think it's 600 miles. I think you cycled it with my brother. Um, and then we we got in touch and you're in, you're in San Diego. You're a surgical periodontist. Is that that's correct? Yes. Yes. That's correct. Um, so... It's a surgeon battles the seven deadly sins to find faith, happiness, and inner peace, mortal adhesions. I want to start sort of at the, at the end. Why did you write the book? Well, the big question today really is, is, is does God exist? You know this better than anybody, but the, we'll call it the deep state maybe. Is that a good term to use? They'd rather not see God around because it interferes with their agenda. And what we're seeing in society is a tremendous increase in depression, anxiety, suicide, drug-related deaths. I think we are going to have close to 110,000 or more 
drug-related deaths, many of them with fentanyl involved. And so there's really despair in the country. You may or may not know that Yale University put on a course about four years ago, the happiness course. And they tell you, oh, you can become happy by meditating. And they have a variety of things that they tell you to do, you know, gratitude, which is a good thing. But it, it, it's a low level of happiness. And, and I hate to say this, but even their instructor, world famous now, because the course has, has affected millions of people, Lori Santos had to take a year off just recently because of burnout. Yeah. So obviously well, happiness was not of her life. Well, I, mean, I, thought, so, I, thought, I thought funny, I, re I remember, and, and it's interesting at the beginning of the book, you talk about this Yale, this Yale class. And I think actually it's worth just mentioning because I, I thought it was fascinating that Yale decided to offer this class. And then they were like, absolutely overwhelmed with the number of students who wanted yes. to sign up so that the, obviously there was a thirst there for for people to find out about like how could how could i how can i make myself happy it's the most popular course at yale university in their 300 year history yeah yeah well that's that amazing amazing that's just, so, i mean reading reading mortal adhesions uh john i was struck by we, we some time ago we interviewed Sorab Amari mm -hmm. and his book Anne, which the, un the, the unbroken, unbroken thread. thread. And let me read you the introduction to to his book, actually, because it just struck me this is this is your book also, or, or maybe I'm maybe you disagree. So he he starts off saying, "My bad dream runs something like this: Max, who's his son, returns home after finishing college at some elite university. He plans to spend two weeks." with his parents before striking out on his own as a junior associate at an investment bank or a hedge fund or advertising agency. He says, it doesn't really matter which meritocratic colony he cho chooses. Two decades of good nutrition, proper schooling and rich ex extracurricular activities have yielded a winsome, well, and quote, well-rounded young man. Max's clear skin, an easy smile and the confidence with knowing life's material fruits are ripe for the picking. One night, Max and his friends stopped by for dinner. One is a southern congressman's glad-handing son bound for Yale Law School. Another has just secured seed funding for a tech startup. Uh, still another is an environmental engineering graduate has won a sustainable design award and been named as, quote, emerging visionary by a prestigious foundation in Davos. At the dinner, Max's mother and I take obvious pleasure in her son. In him, we see our own love embodied and projected into the future. And let's be honest, the fact that his company... This is his company keeps reassuring us that, us that we have succeeded as parents. Max looks to be a winner in life. Yet the moment his, he and his friends open their mouths to speak, they talk mostly about money. They boast about entry-level salaries at their dream firms, how long it takes them to make partners, their Fifth Avenue apartments. Well, he goes on, right? And, he, you know, Max pays a certain obeisance to his father's ancient faith. Sure, he tells me he heard mass at the college chaplaincy when he wasn't too busy. I mean, th that struck me. I don't know if that, does that strike you as 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 a th the theme of your book also i mean you were for all intents and purposes religious uh you know you you were had a veneer of religious religiosity but you you've since come to realize that 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 was almost preventing you from from finding god rather than helping you i was raised in a family in which my mother was a religious my father was a scientist engineer type actually he was born in sicily and because he was born in Sicily, and it was at a time when we were living in Connecticut, and he, he came over when he, when he was six years old. But 
at that point in time, even in my youth, I felt a lot of prejudice against Italians. We were called names such as Guinea and WAP and all kinds of names like that. So my dad wanted me to get all the degrees that I could. And he kept saying, John, be a doctor, be a doctor. If, you have, if you're a doctor, you're going to get two things. You're going to get prestige and you're going to get money. And so I focused totally on that. I mean, God was in the background. Sure, I, I, I made my first communion and I, and I went through all the, you know, the sacraments that children go through. Didn't mean anything to me at all. I, you know, I had no faith to speak of. And of course, I went to an Ivy League institution, very secular in whatever faith you probably go into that university, <laughs> you don't come out with it. So, uh, and even back then when I went, it was that way and it's a lot worse now. So. I didn't pray, except the first time I ever prayed in my life, well, actually was as a freshman at the University of Pennsylvania, because what happened was I left my hometown to go off to an Ivy League institution. It was a blue collar town, very sophisticated, difficult university. And I wasn't a, I wasn't, I was a procrastinator. And so uh, I procrastinated right up to close to finals, knowing that I could in two weeks read all the textbooks and calculus and everything else and do fine. But two weeks before finals, I got a letter from my girlfriend who I thought I was in love with. It was a Dear John letter saying she was dropping me and she had another boyfriend. And I couldn't study. I mean, I tried so hard to go to the, and I, I always thought I could do everything on my own and I just couldn't study. I was gonna flunk out, of, flunk out of Penn and I just didn't know what to do. So I went to a little chapel in the Newman Center and I prayed for two solid hours. And at the end of the second hour, all of a sudden I had this peace that came on suddenly, but for two weeks it lasted to get me through studying. And, you know, obviously it, it worked because here I am, I've got the degree from the University of Pennsylvania, um, degree from George, doctorate degree from Georgetown University, did postgraduate postdoctoral training at the University of Southern California. So education has always been a part of my life. The second part of my dad's equation was make money. So for uh, 15 years, I made a lot of money. And at the age of 41, I bought an, a large rambling ocean view house sitting above Scripps Pier in La Jolla, California. I could see the waves hitting the beach. I could hear the waves in the background. It was a very dramatic house. And I had a brand new Mercedes S-Class, the extended body type thing. My patients tended to be some, I mean, obviously I had all kinds of patients, but I had movie stars. Some came down from Los Angeles. I had several, at least three Nobel Prize winners as patients. I lectured for the University of Southern California all over the world, all fully paid for by them. But I was putting in about 80 hours a week of work to make all this happen because my private practice had grown. But I mean, this is, this is what struck me from the book, right? You know, you're from an immigrant background and you were instructed by your immigrant parent or your immigrant father to to live the American dream. And you were living right. the American you dream. You did it. Um, and and you, as you as I say, you were on the surface religious. I mean, you weren't, you talk about the seven deadly sins, but outwardly you weren't leading a particularly immoral life, right? You know, no, I know you're right. very you're very hard on yourself in the book, right? Now, you talk about <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. I I I, I dabbled in the seven dead, but I pulled myself out. Uh, I don't know if you read that. Did you read the chapter about the movie star that came down yeah. from Hollywood? That type, you know, that type of thing. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, you were tempted. Uh, you, you were tempted 
by lust, but uh, you never uh, consummated that lust. Uh, but it is a de deadly sin. You definitely had pride. You definitely had greed. But you know you can you can you can describe greed also as providing for your family. Yes. Um, you can mm -hmm. you know pride. You know, it's just it's hard. On the on from you know you, you almost were the acceptable face of the seven deadly sins. <laughs> Pride is the is the most difficult sin to get rid of. I mean, even to, you know, because if I tell you that I've finally gotten rid of pride, I'm full of pride telling you that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you can't get rid of it. Well, you can really reduce it a lot, I think. By the way, how prescient to be talking about pride. By the way, in what they are now describing, and we're all being forced to, you know, to to put up with this idea that this is Pride Month, as you say, it's one of the it's one of the. Oh, there you go. Yes, I... <laughs> one of the deadly sins. I'm very I'm very sorry that yeah I'm very sorry that 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 those two things coincide. Sorry, jo go on, John. Because of all this success, I thought it was going to go on forever, but it didn't. Because what happened is uh, a lot of dead things happen within a short period of time. Um, I had, a, I had an employee embezzle a lot of money from the office. I had a contractor who we paid pretty much in full, but he didn't pay his subcontractors, contractors. I didn't get lien releases, so we owed him $300,000. It just went on and on. If all these things started happening, and I was under so much pressure that when I was about 45 years old, 48 years old, I just couldn't, do, couldn't handle it anymore. I mean, it was total despair. And I basically, I was, I was uh, sitting at my home up on the hill uh, with the sky roof opened in the car and I looked up at the stars and I said, God, you know, if you are up there, because I didn't know if God was up there or not. I mean, you could say I was religious. I mean, if you can call not being sure if God existed, being religious, then I was. But I didn't have a strong belief in God whatsoever. And in fact, I was taking courses at the Deepak Chopra Center on Transcendental Meditation. Yes. I was I want, going to New Age churches. I want, I to, I want to talk to you about that, actually, but go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I was just searching all over the place. So I basically, I had an unknown God, and I looked up at the starry sky, and I said, God, if you are up there, all I want is inner peace. Please help me. And... That was so hard to do. I think it was not only hard for me to do, I think it's hard for everybody to do. And certainly those that don't believe in a God aren't sure there's a God because, of you know, again, it's pride. You're submitting. It's like, I thought I could do it all myself. But the interesting thing is, as you may have seen in the book, is that God is there and God heard it. And it wasn't like God, I think of Paul falling off the horse becoming blind, and then he gets his faith when the scales are removed from his eyes. It all happened in a day or two. With me, it took like 12, 12 years of things that began happening, culminating in a spiritual vision on the Camino de Santiago, yeah. so, which is a highlight so, of my life. So, so you changed my life. Yeah, so you kind of went on the Camino. Well, you went, You were, a friend just suggested it to you, and you were kind of skeptical, very skeptical, and... Uh, you and in fact, it was it was a tragedy that happened. One of your children uh, that prompted you to go there and some kind of bargain with God that, to try and 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 help your son. Um, and then you were on the Camino, and as you say, I think you said in the book, applying your scientific, your engineering brain 
to to the Camino and to the various uh, miracles and you know there was a, an incident with chickens uh, as I remember uh, or roosters um, and well, then the, the some... chicken thing is really is really an ancient legend. If anybody does the Camino de Santiago and for mo- you have two ways to do it. It's a very dramatic trip, by the way. Even if you don't, you're not religious. If you like history, you like scenery, if you like legends, then go on it. But but there's a legend, uh, yeah, in in one of the towns about the chickens that came back to life. I mean, did I believe that? No. <laughs> it seemed absurd that these chickens came back to life, uh, you know. But the reason I went on the Camino it was threefold. Number one, I didn't even know what it was, but a friend said his wife was going to walk across Spain for six weeks by herself. And I thought of my wife going across to Spain. I mean, she's going to be walking in the dark at times, you know, not not near a place to, to, to for lodging. It wasn't like it was all laid out for her. You have to find these things called refugios. So why would his why would his wife do that? So I bought books on the Camino de Santiago. That was one thing that happened. Second thing that happened is one of my good friends came down with very serious blood cancer, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, and and was potentially going to die from it. And I wanted he was so depressed I wanted to pick him up. I asked him if he would come with me on this trip, and he thought I was crazy. He said, I can't walk around the block. I just got through with chemo and radiation. And you want me to walk across Spain? I said, No, I don't want you to walk across Spain. That takes six weeks. I want you to ride a bicycle across Spain in twelve days. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> he still told me I was crazy, but he did it. And then so that was two things. And the third thing was my son called me. They had been wanting to have children for two or three years. When she got pregnant about a year and a half earlier, she told the world that she was pregnant. Then she had a miscarriage. That was extremely devastating. Um, she got pregnant again, and she only told her parents, you know, and, and us, and told us to not tell anybody. And then she miscarried again. The good news, it, well, it, well, I'll don't want to get ahead of myself. Mark called and said, the doctor told us we will most likely not be able to have children. That was devastating because out of three sons, only one was married and it looked like only one was going to get married. And so he was my only hope. And he just said, we can't have kids. So, you know, the family name, the Italians want to carry on the name and they want big families. And and it was just very, very devastating to me. So right away, when, when I bought that book on the Camino, because I about the guy's wife leaving on it. I went through every little town that I'd be traveling across and I came across this unusual town, that town of population of not more than 10 people called San Juan de Ortega. And it so happens there's a saint buried there that lived in the 12th century. But, he be, but, the, but the story is very interesting because in the early 1400s, evidently the church dug his body up and they opened the coffin and according to legend, Honeybees flew out of the coffin. Honeybees are a symbol of fertility. And so from that moment on, word spread around Europe. Obviously, the communication was poor, but however it did, it spread around Europe and people would make the trip to his tomb to pray for children. Well, a very famous person did that, Queen Isabella of Spain. Queen Isabella was married to Ferdinand. Ferdinand and Isabella sent Columbus across the ocean. So she was an amazing lady. And very devout. She was very devout. She she had a, a, a daughter 
and then for, and wanted a son badly for seven years, could not get pregnant. She finally gets pregnant in the night in the 1480s, and she miscarries. She hears about San Juan de Ortega and makes a pilgrimage to his tomb, immediately gets pregnant and has a son nine months later, and named him Juan after the saint. Then she wanted to have another child, a daughter. Well, it didn't matter if it was a daughter or a son because she had her son. So she gets, she goes back to the tomb, prays to the saint again, gets pregnant immediately, has a daughter and names the daughter Juana. Again, all because of dedication and thankfulness to the saint. So I, everybody else that goes on the Camino de Santiago, all they care about is completing the Camino, getting their certificate. You get a beautiful certificate in Latin when you finish. You have to prove that you didn't cheat. You didn't get in supposedly on a train or a bus or a car. And so I've got my passport and I get it stamped all along the way. But most of the people in our group, you know, they're, they have a, the bicycle company had a van following us at all the time. And they kept saying, don't you want to ride? And, and, you know, they tempted us because that's what we were paying them for. And I, I made this bargain with God. God never answered me. But in this little chapel right at the beginning, I said, dear God, I said, I want a grandbaby. I didn't care, male or female. I want a grandbaby. And I said, if you give me a grandbaby, I will ride every every bit of this community de Santiago. I don't care how sick I am, how bruised I am. <laughs> I will never get into that van. And funny you should say that because you did end up rather bruised, didn't you? Oh, I was. And that's the story. I mean, the day that I was most exciting on the entire trip was the day that I was going to ride my bicycle into the town of San Juan de Ortega. And I was racing a buddy of mine up a a tiny road that had hardly any traffic. To the top of the hill, there were two stone buildings, one on either side of the road. So there was no shoulder. I couldn't, I had to go straight through. And this man appeared out of nowhere. And he, he basically motions me to move over to the side of the road, which by the time I saw him, I looked up and this Mack truck was coming straight at me and I had nowhere to move. So I purposely crashed into a building. So I hit the building rather than the Mack truck. I fell down right there. And as I fell, the back tire of the Mack truck went within a foot of my ear. And so I was badly bruised, but I got right back on the bike. I had a big welt in my in my knee, and I made it into that town of San Juan de Ortega. Do you want me to t- tell you about that experience now or Yes, later. yes. I mean, I mean, I suppose. And the bike was okay, by the way. You, you know, the bike wasn't injured. Yeah, wasn't... they will get back in the bike. They may have pounded the dents out of it, but yeah. But, 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 but before, I suppose, before we talk about what happened to you in the church, I just want to really set the the scene because, as I'd say, you know, yes, you were tempted by the seven deadly sins, and yes, you had some of the seven deadly sins, but you didn't lead a terribly immoral life i mean you 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 led a mutiny uh on uh, when you were in the air force you led a mutiny but a, uh, but in the end you were you were proven right and the, and the senior officer lost his job and that was because you wanted to do the right thing so you were doing the right thing now as you as i th- you know from what i can read in the book uh, as you got older you, you kind of lost your way and you became consumed with honors and money but you can you can also say I, I became consumed with providing for my family. Now, your family may have disagreed with that, but, you know, 
Yeah, but I, I took I took it well beyond the amount of money my my family needed. <laughs> yes, yes. I was I was obsessed. You know, I, I really was. In, in, in the pride, the honors. I mean, they were. You know, I, I would. I had a big wall, and I would put all the certificates, and I was, you know, elected to various honor societies. But when we finish with my story of what happened to me in that tomb, people are going to say either God exists, or Sotosani's crazy. Yeah. Yes. He's a lunatic. Yes. Well, and what us. I say is, I don't think I am. I'm a lunatic. Yeah. I mean, well, I practiced us. surgery in the same town for 40 years. I didn't run from town to town or state to state. Never got sued, uh, which most surgeons do because you're, you're dealing with nerves and blood vessels and all kinds of unusual things every day. And, 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 uh, and I was mar- I'm married now to the same woman for over 50 years. Three kids, three three grandchildren, and I have you know I was elected to various honor societies. I was a president of multiple organizations um, and professional societies over my career. So most people say he's a sensible guy, and I published multiple scientific articles in the literature. You Absolutely, can, you can go to PubMed and plug in Jay Sotosanti, and particularly if you put Jay Sotosanti in bone. That was my interest, and I and I I, I actually got patents yes. on uh, a bone regeneration technique, and I. Well, t- tell us, t- but I, you know, without further ado, tell us what happened because um, I think I think our audience would be very interested to hear what happened when you went into the church. We pull into the town, starving because we've been riding all morning, and so we sit down in the one little restaurant that they had to have lunch, and my buddy Mike, the guy that had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, disappears. So I'm eating my sandwich and he comes back and says, John, drop your sandwich right away. You get down to that church. He said, because I have cancer, I went over to Lourdes, which for people that don't know, it's a uh, it's a healing site, shrine type of place, maybe a hundred miles from the beginning of the Camino. So he goes to Lourdes to pray for three days. And he said, I just came from Lourdes, which is supposedly a very holy place, but I have never felt the presence of God the way that I did in the tomb of San Juan de Ortego. Get down that church right now before anybody else goes, because everybody's eating lunch. And he said, go in the tomb immediately. And he said, you're not gonna believe, believe it when you get down in there. So I do, I run down there and I go into this church, which was really interesting. And I go immediately down the steps into this tomb and it's all dark. Like all I could see is these votive candles on the floor and on the upper, there are two levels. I'm on the upper level. And it smelled of moisture and mold, and I've got this bleeding knee. The moment I walked in there, I've never done this in my life because I hate kneeling. I hate kneeling in church. I kneeled on the wet stone on that knee, and I never felt the pain. I was just in awe of something that caused me to kneel. And and I'm kneeling there, and I said, well, why are you here? You're here to pray for a baby. So I just started praying. You know, and I'm looking down at the casket. I sent you, Philem, some photos you may want to put up at some point. And so I'm looking down at that casket. And of course, as my eyes are opening, I'm seeing that casket. And and then I'm looking at the cross across the way, that dark cross. And I'm looking at it and praying. And all of a sudden, right in the middle of the dark cross, the dark cross, five or six feet tall, smaller cross, a couple of feet, two, three feet tall at the most, I see a cross of blazing lights. I mean, blaze, it was blazing. It was a fiery cross. And then it divided immediately. It was, it was like if you've ever seen a video, which I'm sure you can get on the Internet, of a sperm 
going into an egg. Then the egg divides, and now you have the mother egg disappears, and you now have you have two cells, and then they divide. Well, that's what happened to the cross. The cross divided, and two crosses moved out to the side, except the main cross, the first cross, never disappeared. So I'm looking at three blazing crosses. The outer crosses divide. I'm now looking at five blazing crosses. They divide. Now I'm looking at seven blazing crosses across the whole room. I think, you know, it's got to be some weird Disneyland thing. I think I tripped something when I came in and the Spaniards have got an opening behind me and are, are showing a video of blazing crosses, you know, on the wall across from me. The scientific so explanation. The mathematical engineering mind, I look behind me. It's a solid wall. Then I say, well, what could it be? And it was rhythmic. One cross, three cross, five crosses, seven crosses, and then, and then it stayed. And what could it be? Maybe, maybe my glasses are reflecting light from the votive candles down below. So I went to take off my glasses. Well, back then I only read with glasses, so they were in the, my back, back pouch of my cycling jersey. Then I had no answer. And I gave in. I've submitted. It was it was the holy it was a holy spirit moment. It was a gift, a total gift. And I I prayed probably for 20 to 30 minutes all by myself and I I felt the most amazing sense of peace and certainty. When I left that tomb, and the only reason what happened was in my mind, my rational mind kicked in after 20 minutes it's a guess and it said, what if they leave without you? We had 24 miles to ride. The moment I said that, the crosses didn't disappear. They went seven, five, three, one, out. Exact rhythm, almost as if a metronome was doing that. I can't explain it. I took photos later when we back, half hour later, when the whole, whole group went back with the lights on. That's where those photos came from. And I would not delete those photos from my camera for years because it changed my life. I could not explain that. And I, I left there knowing that uh, my daughter-in-law would get pregnant and, have a, and I would have a grandson. Sure enough, within two weeks or two to four weeks after I returned, she was pregnant. Nine weeks later, she had a son, Tommy. Tommy is a senior at Yale University. Uh, it was, and then she had multiple children after that. So, so that that changed her life. How how did it change your life? It changed my life dramatically. Well, I, I, I immediately believed that God does exist. Number one, that's important. I mean, if we uh, went through the American population and said, "Do you do you believe in God or not?" It used to be like ninety three percent would say yes. Now I think it's down into the seventies. But if you believe in a Christian God, it's probably down around 50%, whereas it used to be 80 or 90% because we now have the, the God of the universe. Uh, you know, we have so many people that have left the churches, not just you know, any particular church, all the churches. And we have a very secular society that, that basically doesn't want God to exist. And so... That's, I see that as a real problem. But I, from that moment on, believed that, number one, God existed. And number two, that God really cared about me. And I think he cared, God cares about everybody. I don't care if you're in a, in, a, in a prison and you committed a murder. I think God cares about you and wants you to repent and know that he loves you. 
And I, and I firmly believe that. So I, I pretty much have changed my life dramatically, um, not only in terms of, you know, regular church attendance for sure, but, you you know, monthly confession, spiritual advisor, all, all, all things. Uh, most of the books I, I, I read today often have a, have a spiritual uh, influence on me. How has it changed your day-to-day life? How have you approached life differently? What difference does that, what, what are you, what are you saying to people, you know, that this, how will it change their lives in a, in a day-to-day basis? Well, it, it, the last chapter of the book, I think you'll see the example of, uh, of a situation in which I, I, I had, uh, Oh, eight years after the Camino, I developed advanced prostate cancer. And it was a very difficult time. The only time I could compare it to was that terrible anxiety that I had at the University of Pennsylvania. So terrible anxiety. But my faith was able to pull me through. And I, you know, immediately began going to, to daily, daily mass. And uh, I ended up going to Lourdes. That's where I met your brother. <laughs> He was with the Northern Ireland, Ireland Cancer Group. And uh, I had an amazing experience in Lourdes. I would say I had an emotional healing, if not a total physical healing. I did have some treatment, so I can't say yes, uh, but, but I had amazing results. You'll have to read volume two, which is, isn't written yet, to know all the details of what happened. But here I am, 18, you know, this the cancer was uh, 2008. Uh, this is 15 years later. and. I'm good, great health, and well, wonderful, wonderful. So, we're going to probably wrap up now. But uh, is there anything else that you would like people to know about the book? Uh, it's called Mortal Adhesions. Well, I talk a little bit about the four levels of happiness. Everybody wants to be happy, but the four levels of happiness. What is happiness? I used to be a Charger fan, and then what they do? They left San Diego, <laughs> so I lost my happiness. No, actually, I wasn't very happy because I didn't win very many games. Uh, that's level one happiness. Level, that's that's immediate gratification. Level two happiness is um, a comparative happiness. I compare myself to you to you and others. Uh, my house is nice. It's it's big. It overlooks the ocean. Yours doesn't. I have a bigger car. I I, I have the I got this award. I won the tennis match. You lost. It's a continual. I'm happy because I'm a good tennis player. I'm happy because I have all these awards. But it's very self-centered. The third level, the higher level of happiness is when you start helping other people. So now I'm very involved with helping students that can't afford education. I have a, a number of, of most many religious uh, 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 nonprofits that I, I devote uh, to. And then, I've, you know, and the fourth thing then is when you believe in God. And, and the fourth level of happiness is when you, you can answer the question, you know, is there a God? Does God care about you? And what's the meaning of life? Why aren't we asking that more often to people? What is the meaning of life? I'm not asking you, but what is the meaning of life? That's a big question. One of my favorite books is uh, Victor Frankl's book on man's search for meaning. It's a great book. So I'm trying to be happy. I'm trying to help other people. I'm trying to be faithful to, to God and do what God wants. I think that today people... Do not believe in the biblical definition of sin. Totally ignore it. Correct. If there is a God and you ignore sin and you just do what you want to do, 
then and there is a hell, I feel for you. Funny enough, I think I think um, a, a strange. This is yeah. This is going to sound weird, but a strange. Um, you know, we've been talking recently on our podcast a lot about this trans issue. And, you know, the only way I can describe what's been happening, um, and I have friends who unfortunately are having to go through this with their children, are trying to fight this. The only word description is, is diabolical, is, you know, something from the devil, something so evil. It, it is. And, and I think, b- bizarrely, this, is, this could be something that could cre- create some kind of revival, some religious revival, because suddenly people are realizing that the Bible, it's biblical. It's so evil. It's, it's got a biblical feel to it because it's, you know, it's just demonic. It's not, well, it's it's not even a, like... It's sacrificing. It's, yeah, but it's almost like, it's not like, it's just not like anything else. It's not, it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't have a comparison. It's so, it's so evil that you can't, it, you, it's basically biblical. And it's, it's funny, I've, I've a, a friend, a, a friend you know about film, um, in California and, 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 you know, and he's constantly saying to me, you know, I'm not religious, I'm not religious. And uh, he's G- a Jewish background, you know, and I'm not religious, but he's been going through this stuff with his children, um, with crisis with his children during COVID and all of that. And, and he starts saying to me, you know, and I'm not religious and, you know, but, and I'm saying, fine, that's fine. And then he goes, so I've, listen, I, so, so in the Bible, this guy, honestly, this is what he says to me. So in the Bible, and then he went on, you know, and I'm Jewish, you know, and I'm not religious and whatever. And then he goes and he says, do you know what Jesus said? <laughs> and I remember just yeah. saying to him, and and I could, I was right, right in front of my eyes. I'm watching this person converting himself, right? <laughs> and I just said to him because he's very, he's very upset by what's happening, and he was trying to find a context for it, trying to find some hope. And I, and the only place he could find anything that made any sense was the Bible, which was really, it was kind of gorgeous to look at it and hear him. And I just said to him at the end, I said, look. I know, I know you're not, you know, I said to him, I know you're not religious. I said, but you know what my advice is to you? I think you should pray. Um, and, and now he writes, when he writes to me and we're t- talking about his children and all of that, he says to me, you know, and, and we had a, a very upsetting thing happened recently to us. A friend of ours died very suddenly and he wrote and he said he was praying for us. And I'm thinking, you know, so that somehow in the midst of all of that, it's, it's, um, that I think that this kind of, there could be a religious revival based on what's happening because so, totally something 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 different is happening now that I feel like hasn't happened before. I totally agree with you. I think we're going to switch switch back. Okay. Hope on so. that on that happier note. On that happier note. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much, John, for joining us. P- tell people again the name of the book and where and they where can they get can it. find it. Yes, please. So, Mortal Adhesions, Amazon. Just go ahead to Amazon and plug in Mortal Adhesions. The only book by that name. There it is. Yeah. And there so it you'll, is. You'll find it. And we'll show that. And we'll show yeah, that out. Mortal M O R T A L. Mortal Adhesions, and we'll put that up mortal, on our show notes mortal, as well. Okay, Mortal versus Eternal. Adhesions are the addictions, the seven deadly sins that stick to us. And things like alcohol, et cetera, are all, all addictions and they're adhesions that we can't get rid of when we can't find God because we are so stuck to all these attachments in, 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 in this world here. That's my message. Thank you so thanks, much. Thanks, and we look forward, by the way, we look forward to seeing you again down in San Diego soon, I hope. Right. We'll look forward to that. Thank you very much. Thank you. All the best. Thank you very Bye. much. Yeah, we needed that. We, we, needed, that. we needed that palate cleanse. Yes, so mortal adhesions, please buy the book. Let's get it to the number one Amazon bestsellers. We've asked you to do that before. And you know what? You have done it. Um, so let's go to the comedic bit. First of all, let's do. So Ireland is introducing hate crime legislation. And what you've got to understand about Ireland is anything the UK does because they're, they're, they've got this inferiority complex or whatever is post-colonial hangover. If, if, if the UK says, and literally the UK says, we want to be carbon neutral by 2050, Ireland goes, we're going to be carbon neutral Tomorrow. by 2035 or 2030. 
so they, Britain has introduced a hate crimes legislation where you can be arrested for singing Kung Fu fighting because two Chinese people complained. That, right. is, that right. is not right a lie. You, 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 they were singing Kung Fu fighting. They were arrested, had the DNA take and everything for possible hate crime. So Ireland has, is going to now introduce a hate crime that's even more draconian. And this is Brand Duve pointed this out, the woman, the lady who, who read her poem, the 14-year-old. Hatred. So this is the definition of hatred. Uh, According to the really smart people in so Ireland, so you can be prosecuted for incitement to hatred, right? And so here's what hatred is. Hatred means hatred against a person or a group of persons in the state or elsewhere on account of their protected characteristics or any one of those characteristics. Protected characteristics shall be construed in accordance with Section 3. We're not even going to give you section three. Yeah. Here's what I learned out of that film. We are living in a completely mad world. And by the way, if you don't have protected characteristics, which unfortunately, Phelan, you and I, I don't think of protected characteristics. Because we think, I think we know what protected characteristics are. So if you're a white, middle-aged lady and gentleman of a certain age um, and a certain skin type, I don't think we've got any characteristics that'll be considered worth protecting by these hatred law Excuse people. Me. I was at the doctor last week and he said, if I lose three more pounds, I will no longer be obese. Oh, so you're in a protected I, class, I, are you? I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm fat now. Look at you being fat, Phil, I'm so you fabulous. Know. So by the way, I like this. I feel like this was written by Kamala Harris, actually. Hatred hatred means hatred. Hatred hatred means hatred. That's in the law. Hatred means hatred. So that's how it's defined. So you've incited hatred. Well, what does hatred mean? It means hatred. But what does hatred mean? It means hatred. So all that Kamala Harris. Okay, I want to do uh, oh. Oh. Raccoon Gate. Right. Very quickly, we're going to have a little bit of Raccoon Gate at the end of this show. So basically, our wildlife sanctuary at the back of our house has become has become a little bit more of a wildlife sanctuary. Let's just say, let's just say our borders were not secure. And you could take this, by the way, as a kind of metaphor for the border debate and as i kind of did on that wonderful app next door which in seeing parts of the world next door is 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 a place where you go and provide food and care for people who are in difficult times uh, but here in venice california it's a toxic mess so i have a camera at our cat flap or dog flap or the doggy door whatever you call it in america so we can monitor the in and outs of the cats yes particularly when we're away, we have we have homesitters, but I just wanted to be careful. So anyway, the other day I saw, the camera wasn't right exactly, but I saw an unusual, I thought that's not our cat, but it looks like our cat. I saw these ears and this, and then I realized, oh my gee, it's a raccoon. So I was able to speak into the camera and scare the raccoon away that time. I got them to close the cat flap, and next thing, the raccoon comes back and starts aggressively attacking the cat flap. So then I then start shouting at him through the camera and he comes over, smacks the camera and knocks it down. But I wrote on next door at midnight that night saying, can anyone recommend a local raccoon removal service? Have a rather aggressive one in my backyard who's causing problems. And then so someone immediately wrote, raccoons can't be removed. It is illegal and illegal is all in caps. And I said, if they come into my house, I think they can. And then somebody else wrote, I'll take him, where is he? But then somebody wrote, all caps, maybe she has babies, just give them space. 
And then so Tracy wrote, how is he aggressive and how is he getting into your house? Do you have a doggy door? If so, secure it at night. Do you leave the dog or cat food in your yard? If you do that, you're attracting all wildlife. Guilty a little bit. I then wrote and said, Tracy, so I have to choose to close my cat flap because a raccoon decides to take up residence. I have two cats, Scaredy Cat and Top Cat. They use that flap. Why should they have the freedom taken away? Because a raccoon interloper with no documentation, I added that, but, uh, <laughs> decides to truck up. I didn't come to America to have my cat freedom restricted. Talk about blaming the victim. Then somebody else, Robert Andrews wrote, very funny, I can rent the raccoon a room. No Wi-Fi, but there's a Gideon's Bible. <laughs> anyway. That's very, very venice. Yes. Okay, we've come to the end. We've come to the end of the show for this week. Um, okay. And we will be, we are on the road. Uh, top secret uh, missions going on here. But yes. we will bring more of that to you very soon. Yes. So see you next week. Some wonderful project. Bye. Bye-bye.